0: Welcome to Read by Example, where teachers are leaders and leaders know literacy. And I'm welcoming here again, uh, Mary Howard, Deborah Crouch, and Don Marlett. Um, Mary, if you want to start, just share a little bit real quickly about yourself, what you do.
1: Sure. I'm a literacy consultant, I'm still heavily engaged in education, living in Honolulu, Hawaii, mm-hmm. and uh, have been a teacher for 51, going
2: on 52 years now.
0: Deborah.
2: Um, I'm Deborah Crouch. I am um, also working as a literacy consultant these days and um, just was with um, a second and uh, fourth grade teachers today talking about the practices in their classrooms. And this was very applicable to some of the work that we were doing. So I'm excited about this conversation.
0: Awesome.
3: Yeah. Uh Hi, I'm Tom Marlett with uh, Learning Focused Consultant company that focuses on planning so i thought this would be a fun one to join all Right. and then specifically within a, a instructional framework is one of our focus areas
0: and i'm familiar with all of your works either through reading or seeing you present so this is a very knowledgeable group i'm honored to be here so uh today's topic and again the intention here is to um, just to engage around a topic of interest that um, people are talking about. And this was um, something that was getting debated on Twitter, uh, whether or not teachers should have to submit lesson plans and looking at the bigger topics of like school-wide expectations, balancing that with teacher empowerment. And the article was by Paul Emmerich France for ASCD blog. So the question I had just in mind was, should t- teachers be required to submit lesson plans or do we need to be, do we, do we need to ask a better question? I, I get yeah, I get a sense there's more to the issue here at a deeper level than just lesson plans, but you can get into that. And the other per- purpose we um, record these conversations is just to demonstrate how to facilitate a professional conversation. And this is the heart of professional learning. You know, we don't talk about some of these big topics in schools because they could be too contentious. You're afraid it might spiral into an argument, debate. And so hopefully through this process, um, through professionals such as ourselves, that um, we can demonstrate that for our colleagues. So uh, everyone gets this guide who is um, a full subscriber to the newsletter. So thank you to everyone who is a full subscriber. Um, really important to have norms with some of these uh, conversations, uh, working norms, agreements. Um, and I just use some from the Peloton group. A dialogue should be a basic attitude. Uh, create safe spaces, include all relevant parties in a dialogue. You must listen, let everyone share their experiences, ask questions, talk about difficult topics and contribute to forgiveness and reconciliation. And one thing I've seen p- presenters do is to ask the audience, each person they like, which one are you going to focus on to, at during this time together, which one do you want to really work on? So that that's a strategy you might want to try. So, um, just to kind of get kick things off the, what are you listening to right now? Just some more of an inclusion activity. And it, it doesn't have to be music. It could be a podcast. It could be anything nature. And I'll that's go just, first. I mean, uh, I can, go ahead, Matt. I'll, I'll be the first to go here. I've been listening to a Huberman lab podcast. Um, Andrew Huberman's a neurobiologist in, in California, and he has a podcast. And he's talking to a psychiatrist in the East Coast, Paul Conti, from um, at Harvard Medical School about uh, mental health and talks about the framework for mental health. So I found it very illuminating, and I want to share it out at some point for all schools. I think the framework's very helpful in terms of how we can help kids and, and even adults. So uh, that's what I'm listening to. I I just started uh,
3: listening to um, writing for busy readers. It's, uh, I saw it because um, I follow uh, Angela Duckworth, and she posted it and said so it was a good book. But also because whenever we send emails from our company and all that stuff, that everybody is busy. So how can we make it so that they can actually read them? Since we all know it's hard to read our own emails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's very good so far.
0: And it's a. Uh, it was a book or it was a podcast.
3: It's a. Uh, it's a book. So I'm just using, reading the audible uh, yeah. version, of, listening to the audible version of it.
0: Cool.
1: Okay. Well, I'll go. I just finished listening to. Um, I'm a big fan of An- Dr. Andy Johnson's, the Reading Instruction Show. Um, uh, what I love about Andy is how um, clear and strong he is in talking about some of the issues. And so um, I I just, I enjoy listening to that. And I enjoy taking notes and just kind of thinking it through. He usually has a podcast uh, maybe once every couple of weeks or so. And it's really very well done.
0: Nice.
2: Well, I'm going to fess up and be the one who says, I am not good with podcasts. Because the podcasts that are professional, I want to be sitting and taking notes on, like people will say, oh, listen to it while you walk. It doesn't work for me because I want to take notes and I can't do that while I'm right. walking. So I haven't figured out really how to put podcasts into my life very well. I can listen to the fluffy, you know, like I absolutely loved, um, uh, my brain just went absolutely dead on her name, um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus's uh, podcast series. I don't know if you saw that where, um, um, where she's talking to women older than her and she's like, what can I learn from you? Um, So I listened to that podcast. Um, But I was thinking about what am I listening to? And I was um, just listening in the car to um, this brilliant um, artist um, called Rhiannon Giddens. Do you know Rhiannon and her work? So she's an Americana. Rhiannon, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. um, Rhiannon, um, like the um, Fleetwood Mac song. Rianna, Riannon, Riannon, um Giddens, G-I-D-D-E-N-S, um, and it's all Americana music, and I learned about her through a book that I was reading on creativity, and they profiled her in this book, because she's, she's won a number of awards, but she um, decided that she didn't want to be on that, I'm into the popular music and Going on the tours and you know doing that sort of like continuing to you know grow and be popular in that way, she decided to focus inward in her right in her writing and in her songs and in her musical choices. She's one of the most glorious voices, I think, and and that's the word I would use. It's a glorious voice. Um, So that's who I've been listening to. But when you say that, because I'm like, okay, I listen to music, not a podcast uh <laughs> listener really so anyway so that's what i've been listening
0: to right now nice uh, i like fluffy mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> and, and deborah i feel i feel your pain because i never last very long when i'm listening to audible books because my mind starts racing so that's why it takes me i go back and forth between that and fluffy so i'm like <laughs> yeah. you i don't i can't just sit there and listen for the whole thing it's yeah i have to too, yeah yeah Which doesn't work when you're driving, so I can't listen to it for very long. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I sometimes when I'm walking and I'm starting to listen to a podcast, it's bad because I pull out a pen and I end up taking notes all the way down (laughs) my arm. And now I try to sit at the I try to just put a marker and then I like like you said, I need to write it down. So I listen to the podcast at home and type out type out the important things because i like yeah. it <laughs> but yeah it was yeah. bad on my skin
0: <laughs> i've heard that's the best way to do it is to like to listen and then go home and then write that what you remember like paraphrase and that actually mm-hmm. is the best way to uh-huh. synthesize which i don't do of course i do <laughs> it i will bring up google keep notes and i will like record myself and it will transcribe what i say um but yeah i think that's the best way is just to listen and then Write it later. All right. So the article, thanks for sharing. I'll, I'll put those in the notes. The article again is uh, why teachers should, shouldn't have to submit lesson plans. And this piqued my interest, um, was posted on Twitter and, um, another pretty well known educator, uh, former principal had said, I just disagree with this whole thing. And I like that when there's disagreement. I think that's good. You know, the principles, you know, it's, we can require to have lesson plans submitted to us. And I, I think that's important, you know, and I, I think he would probably have some very good reasons, but um, the reasons that Paul Emmerich France listed were to not submit him is he, he started his first two weeks teaching. And he's like, I wrote them out at length. And, you know, after two weeks I was exhausted and, you know, I was constantly changing them because I was paying attention to my kids. I wasn't able to, you know, be responsive because my lesson plan are all planned out, literally. So he just noted that first, administrators don't have time. So they're not going to read hundreds of lessons every week, Creates more paperwork. The second reason is traditional lesson planning is unsustainable. He likes five questions, which I thought were good, which is uh, what should t- students know and be able to do by the end of the lesson? How will I know if they've learned? So it sounds like PLCs. How will I provoke curiosity and discussion? How will I orchestrate instruction? How will learners reflect on the lesson? So that's his like framework he uses for lessons. a Much abbreviated version. And the third reason is teachers feel micromanaged. So just thinking about those three reasons that France lists. What are your, just your initial thoughts on on that?
1: Well, I'll just start by something that he said early on, and I thought it. I thought it really kind of was a crux of the whole article. Um, he said plans change they have to teaching is unpredictable and uncertain especially when 20 or more human beings are along for this ride we call learning steering the ship with their questions emotions and thoughts it um teaching cannot follow a script and that's one of the problems that we're seeing right now with with scripts and very controlled plans because it's the in the moment teaching. in my mind, there's nothing more important than that in the moment teaching. So having a plan is really important. and And I was really intri- I thought it would be very difficult to write plans with all five of those questions, but I was certainly really intrigued by them. But I think that was that really is the crux of the article for me that if we don't leave room, for that in the moment decision-making that there's no way we could plan for it. Then, you know, how are we really being responsive to children as opposed to being responsive to whatever it is that we're turning in?
2: It was interesting because um, when I read this uh, for the first time, um, a lot of different ways of thinking about this because I do a lot of this with teachers in my work where I'm planning with teachers in This work, and so one of the things that I wrote in a, as a note was what does what does a lesson plan look like for this author because that's one of the questions that I had because I've been in situations with teachers where I've gone in thinking okay we're going to do some planning and I'm thinking like bigger planning like unit kind of planning or a series of lessons, you know, kind of planning, but the teachers think we're planning a lesson and that we're walking away with it. So, we had to do a lot of clarifying of what we mean when we talk about planning. What is, you know, there's that, you know, the unit plan, the weekly plan, the daily plan, and then one of the other layers that started popping in was the prep. Like, what what does it mean to prep a lesson, right? Because there's, you have your lesson plan, but you still have preparation you have to do kind of in that moment kind of thing. So, I think that was a question that I had um, within this was like, okay, what, what exactly are you talking about when you talk about lesson plans and turning them in? Because I know when I was a teacher, we did turn in weekly lesson plans. And one of the things that I thought so much about was that as a new teacher, I didn't like doing it. So I could totally relate to his thing about teachers feeling controlled and micromanaged. But in hindsight now, I can see that it forced me and, and pushed me to be prepared in a way that I probably would not have been had I not had to make sure at eight o'clock on Monday morning, those were in my box. And I knew it was just more of like, they just wanted to make sure we were planned and they could come in at any moment see where, I may mean, not I understood how they were working with it. Um, but once I learned how to in a way, cause they didn't care how we turned it in. It didn't matter what it looked like. It was just that you had it in there everybody looked at different, everybody's looked different, but I felt like um, once I learned how to put it onto paper, then I felt like I actually knew what I was doing. It was more like a to-do list for myself, um, just with the notes. and things. So Anyways, it was just an interesting, I'm talking too much, but it was an interesting um, way of looking, because my first question was like, okay, what's he talking about when he talks about a lesson plan? What exactly would that look like?
0: And Deborah, you make a point here that france recommends in the end of the article that for new teachers but i think any teachers would benefit from having their coach learn the art of planning and prepping and what's the difference and in, in what you're talking about i think is would just be really good practice for any teacher you know plcs but working with coaches like mm-hmm. you deborah or mary or or don i think that would be just powerful professional learning for anyone mm-hmm. don what are your initial thoughts here
3: yeah, it's funny because, um, like you that, uh, I follow a couple of Facebook, uh, principal groups and this always seems to be divid- divided down the line when a new administrator, a new administrator asked that question. I think I went back to what Mary and, uh, Deborah were saying is, is depends on how you define the word plan. Um, if you define it as a script, 100% agree scripts are not, in my mind, a plan. So, One of the things that we do sometimes is just, what do you define a plan? How do you define that? We do that in our, I don't know, one of our trainings. Mm -hmm. And the whole point of it is, is when we get to the end of that with teachers is that nobody ever says it's rigid or it's a script. It's always flexible, but having an outline, like writing an outline for an article or a book or anything like that, without having an outline, it makes it harder to be more flexible in our view. Um, So that was one of my thoughts with, that and also the other half of that was the admin piece of it and again it depends on if you define admins reviewing every single component of every single lesson plan versus pieces like this week i'm just going to look for my how i'm going to launch my curiosity and discussion and and the next week or two weeks down the road um what is, what does that look like and the way that he defined it of every single teacher or every single week is not sustainable. Absolutely, it's not sustainable for admins to be able to do that. And if that's how you define it, then I could see why you would vote
0: against it. Yeah. And I can just coming out of 16 years as a building principal, I, I can vouch for there's zero time to get yeah. everyone's lessons. Um, you know, the only time where I would really find them, mo- I would find the most valuable when I'm doing unannounced uh, mini observations, you know, that we're, we're required to do. I would go I would read the lesson. And then observe just to see, you know, are their intentions, their actions aligned with their goals? You know, what are the standards? And I always found that helpful to have the context. But I oftentimes, as many times as not, I could figure that out just by observing the lesson. I didn't need to look at the lesson plan, especially if it was a very good lesson It was very explicit. Um, I would never even need to look. So good instruction, um, you know, the lesson plan is very visible. Right in the classroom. Um, I, I, I guess I think of lessons kind of as a map. You know, it's a set of directions. Um, you don't necessarily have to go the route you necessarily plan for. You might go on a diversion. Um, so I think um, France's ideas here of provoking curiosity, orchestrating instruction, I like the term, verb orchestrate versus mandate or direct. I think you're, you're orchestrating kids' learning. And but you're trying to empower them at the same time. So, you know, the compass is the kids, right? And, and the learning that you're trying to accomplish, and the lessons are more of the map. So, Deborah kind of hinted at this, but the second question I was wondering, and feel free to pose your own questions, but um, just playing devil's advocate, what were some other reasons might you why you would require these um, lessons? You know,
2: so I work in a, in a, um, in a school. Uh, with where the teacher teams um, uh, plan certain parts of their days for each other, their adult language school. So someone's the planning the, you know, the uh, SLA part, someone's planning the ELA part, someone's planning the science, the socials, and they do a lot of sharing of that. And so one of the conversations that we're talking about is what would a teacher How how detailed do your plans need to be when you share them out with your team members so that they're able to understand the focus of the work and what what you're hoping to accomplish? So one of the things I'm planning to do is to share these five questions Mm -hmm. with them, because I think that would be really a strong part of the conversation. Okay, when you think about someone else like taking your plan, which is always a little awkward for me, just that whole concept of trying to take someone's plan. So when he was talking about like, can you like, like pull off a lesson plan? I was like that whole in the moment, pull a lesson plan. When you, when you're in a pinch, you need a last minute lesson. And I was like, okay, what's that about? You know, um, but that if, if you are sharing those things, that might be a reason why you're, you're putting more information together on a plan. So that's not necessarily for an administrator, although administrators would maybe look at that. But if you're sharing with your colleagues, Um, on your grade teams and things. I was thinking about that in terms of when you might need to do more lesson planning in
0: that way. We just still take collaboration and Mm -hmm. communication. (laughs) I think too, like, you know, grade level teachers, but also classroom and special education teachers, Mm -hmm. classroom and interventionists, that can be Mm -hmm. powerful. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a good point. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and Deborah, you said at one point uh, when you were talking earlier that Uh, teachers were encouraged to come up with with lesson plans that work for them i think that's and i think that's what gave me a little bit of pause when i looked at the five questions which are perfect but it's so easy to turn something into um, rigid by saying it has to look like this like the Uh one that i've always used is just three columns and the first one was what i know meaning what do i know about these children what do I know about this child? What do I know about this small group? So just what do I know? And that's the piece I think we often don't do. The second is what I think, what I see as, as you know, the lesson. But the third one for me was the most important of all. What did I change in the moment? And I use different colors. And I, I say to teachers, you know, we we have to understand that a really good lesson plan is going to change based on, you can anticipate what children say or do. And I think sometimes we dishonor that. So I always would have teachers put in a different color. These are the things that changed. And that became the the professional conversation. Why did I, you know, take more time here? Or why did I, uh, you know, have children generate their own, you know, what are you thinking about? Or what are you wondering? Um, And, and it's really important to me not just to have here's the plan. um, Even though those are five great things, here's the plan. And here's the five things, I want them to create their own structure. But I also want to, even if you don't have a column, say now go back at your lesson plan after the fact and just jot down in color, these are some things that, that I changed or I added a question or, or children generated this question and we spent a little time there.
0: Mary, is that resource you mentioned, is that available anywhere? Is it in one of your books or.
1: Um, You know, I feel like I talked about it in uh, good to great teaching
0: okay. because
1: good to great teaching was a lot of different forms yep. that teachers would, would teach and, and look at. And, and that probably would be the book Uh, where we talked about it the most. And one of the things I actually did in that book is that I would come in and observe a lesson of their choice, whatever they wanted. Mm -hmm. We'd have a conversation about it. We talked about uh, what might they have done differently. And then either with that group or another group, they redid that lesson with the changes Mm -hmm. based on our conversation. So it probably would come from good to great teaching.
0: I think that'd be, if you find time, I think that'd be a powerful article somewhere with a template linked in like <laughs> Paul has in his article. He has that linked in the article, but I think that would yeah be a really helpful resource.
2: I always always try and think about that the purpose
0: of the
2: plan is right. to help you envision. Like to me I always say to teachers like the reason that I even craft a you know this detailed plan is that I'm envisioning what happens okay, I I or possibly California, could happen. Um, because when you think about you know sitting in front of kids and being responsive to kids and knowing your learners and how you put that into, into practice is I've got to think about, okay, we might go here. We might go here. I know this kid. I know we're probably going to go here. And you're envisioning. And like, for me, it's thinking about, okay, what might I say in the moment? Because I think sometimes we think responsive means off the cuff. Right. And to me, being responsive means I've anticipated some of the kinds of things that could happen based on the kids and based on the text and what I know. So like his question about facilitation, I think is really an important piece. But it's like if you if you mm-hmm. get to the place where you think that planning just means I'm envisioning it happening
0: mm-hmm. and
2: then I can reflect back on it afterwards and say, OK, well, this part, ooh, didn't see that one coming. You know, you always have those moments where you think this was going to happen, or this is going to be the word that people are going to, the kids are going to get stuck on. And then there's like, they have that problem, but it was this problem. Yep. And you didn't see that. And I said, T- children always teach you about teaching. They'll always teach you about what the issues are in the book. If you just are a good listener, uh, mm-hmm. at least what
0: mm-hmm. they talk about. I like that. Don, any thoughts here? Yeah, I, I think, um,
3: you know, in our experience, uh, we work with a lot of schools that want to in uh, increase the use of specific high yield strategies, maybe collaborative pairs, something like that. And so, a lot of times, the teachers will be given the professional development. And what we all know now is that professional development doesn't really change necessarily behavior of teachers, in, uh, in a large quantity. So, uh, you have to, of course, monitor that in a couple of different ways. And so. In our experience, the more that they've planned them and put them into their lesson plans, the more likely they are to incorporate them into their classrooms. So that would be something if I want a, a higher percentage of collaborative pairs and specific type of collaborative pairs within my school, and that's what my goal is for increasing student engagement, that would be something that I would monitor inside of a lesson plan, that at least they're planning them out to see if, when they're going to use them. And our experience is that, similar to what you just said, Deborah, which is the higher level of collaboration requires quite a bit of planning. The simple collaboration of just simply talk to somebody in your group doesn't really require any planning. And so that's why we see, uh, at least in my experience, a large percentage of that version of collaboration, Mm -hmm. um, which is not necessarily the... The biggest impact it just happens better than of course no collaboration, but there's different levels that just seem to have
0: require more planning within. Inside of that, Don, that's where my brain was going too, is to use that information in the lesson plans as an administrator or an instructional coach to see how our teachers doing with, like you said, high yield strategies, or are they just like go to page one twenty nine, yeah, and answer these questions, which isn't a lesson plan; it's just a to do list, but yeah. you know. Or are they more so to where Francis questions are around is what do they want them to know, be able to learn. I appreciate Mary and Deborah's point of looking at the kids first and then thinking about the content. So I think these all make sense. Um, the third question I had is, uh, you know, could we be asking a better question? You know, not why teachers should or shouldn't have to submit lesson plans. You know, what is this really about? And I'll just note that I circled the third reason why we shouldn't require lesson plans submitted is micromanaged and to the point of where teachers are feeling disempowered. And what that leads to is a lack of agency in teachers, feeling like they're not trusted, feeling like, um, you know, they can't be trusted to deliver the curriculum. And there might be situations where there's a teacher or two where they aren't, you know, doing what they should be doing they're not even writing lessons for not requiring and they're just flipping to the next page and there's no reflection no mm-hmm. so, you've know, assessments to to guide the day-to-day instruction so i understand why it's much easier just to say everyone you're doing lesson plans you know and then you can use that like don was saying and you all were saying it's really is looking at you know really just looking at teachers thinking you know their decision making and from a day-to-day perspective so uh, but yeah, what is, what is this really about? Is this about power or um, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, always think if your teachers are asking or saying things like, am I doing this right? That's, that's when you see you, you've created that. I mean, that that's the they're They're thinking about how do I please or how do I perform in a certain way in that micromanaged kind of, of way. Um, so I always think those are signals for us as leaders if we're relying too heavily on maybe templates or, you know, here's a, a lesson plan format we want you to follow, things like that. But, you know, I hear what you're saying. It's like at some point we do need to know as leaders, okay, where are you going with that? What, what were your intentions? Um, so it's like, how do you balance that out? So I don't know. I was thinking, like I was jotting down because I think you actually said this a minute ago like how do we support our teachers to be planned um and prepared um so it's kind of the that question looks like how can we do that and does it have to be the same for everybody
0: yeah is it you don't want it to be compliance and i've fallen into that trap myself as a leader i've required things just because it's easier for me but not necessarily responsive for them so guilty you know, as charged for sure
1: and I, w- I wonder if we don't um we don't make teachers a part of that discussion more um at the end he said when kids have teachers who feel heard and valued those teachers will be more likely to exercise their agency to reach as many kids as possible in creative and innovative ways whether that's a coach like you all of you are doing or whether that's a um Coming together and talking about what that might what that might look like, not what that will look like, but what that might look like, and bringing yourself to the table and I think that when teachers feel agency, they pass that agency along to their children, and they recognize that none of us want to feel micromanaged uh, and hopefully that's going to be a trickle down effect to children. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And, and I, for me, I think the micromanaged gets into uh, feedback that are given to uh principal, I mean, by principals on lesson plans. Uh, with that, um, if I might give feedback on a specific activity that they've chosen and say, oh, I think here, this is a better activity. I think that's where they get lost in the micromanaging pieces versus giving feedback on high strategy or even the standard levels, because everyone in that same state has the same expectations. And if I'm not using those to develop my plan, then that might be an area where you have to address inside of the feedback. And that's not, that's mm. micro, to me, that's good micromanaging because a, a fantastic level, that's a fantastic lesson that's not on grade level is great lesson, but it also is not going to hit, get the kids where they need to be. So uh th- that's part of it. Again, the micromanage, I think goes into, um, uh, the communication and how lesson planning uh, uh, turning in lesson plans is communicated to the purpose of what they're doing. If it's never communicated, then I'm just going to fill in my own story and just call it micromanage. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's a good fair. point.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, you could, it could be as simple as a, a just a thoughtful question. Like, you know, in your lesson, this was your objective. How do you feel like the students met that objective? And then why do you think that happened? And, just be very open-ended and not judgmental or mm-hmm. trying to control the situation. Um, but really trying to be more reflective, which can then be an entry point to what you're saying, Don. Yeah. I think we're all saying here is having a conversation around is this at a high expectation level or or not? And well, this has been a great conversation and um I appreciate everyone being here. Any key takeaways? I again I think in professional conversations it's good to if I had a, if we were in person, I'd have some kind of anchor chart in the back. You know, <laughs> everyone's key takeaways. But I think um, we got it recorded here. So, uh, any um, anything you wanted to pull? What what value was added to your to your practice after today's conversation?
1: I think you said it in the beginning, the importance of conversations, and we never we never seem to have time to do that in schools. I mean to be able to sit with the three of you, <laughs> it's hard to say the four of you, but I'm one of them to be able to sit with <laughs> the three of you and just no agenda but just have a conversation about what we're thinking, a really mm. good, respectful, important conversation. Um, that's what we we just, we don't leave room for in school. And that's why coaches and all of the things that you're doing are so incredibly important.
0: Thanks, Mary.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, for me, just thinking about how, um, how, how important those conversations are to help us clarify that what we mean by a lot of these terms that we use in education, yeah. like we said, lesson plan. Because I think, everybody sitting at the table will have a different vision of what that is. And, you know, as they're, you know, I was going into to coach with a, with a great team. Um, and it took me a couple times to really like come back to that at the beginning of the year with them last year um, that I needed to make sure that we were all talking about the same thing of what we were going to walk away with. Mm-hmm. Because just as these questions can be used, um, of, you know, for lesson planning that can also be used when you think about your professional development. You know, what do I hope, you know, if I'm leading a professional development, what do I hope the teachers will leave, you know, knowing and being able to do? And how will I know if they're feeling confident and comfortable with that? And, you know, like those same questions apply when we put that up to the adults that we support as well. So mm-hmm. I think that's Definitely. just a great way of thinking about that. This is not just about the kids, but it's also about for our adults as well in the in the building.
3: Mm-hmm. I think my big takeaway is the um, around the definition piece, uh, even in even in when uh, we're working with teachers of what those expectations are. But primarily, because I do most of my individual work with principals and school leaders of making sure that they have clearly communicated what they define as a lesson plan and some of these questions that he's bringing up and making sure that the leaders have an answer for those one way or the other of why they're not doing it and or why they are doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I will just say my takeaway is, you know, hopefully this is a model, especially for new leaders, whether principals, instructional coaches that are in charge of PD, like, you don't have to plan a lot. Like Mary said, there wasn't much of an agenda, which is, I think, a good yeah. thing. Like, you can just come in with a kind of a provocative article or, you know, um, around a topic that's relevant to your school and provide a couple questions and just give teachers a safe space to talk. And they yeah, that's what they would crave, you know, and, and and then just pulling a few outcomes out of it like we are now and thinking about maybe a few actions if we were a faculty in school. Like, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to have some intentions around some PD related to lesson planning and we're not going to dictate one thing. We're going to include you, but that's all there is to this. I I don't have to be a lesson plan expert as a a new school leader to, to facilitate professional learning. That's powerful. So hopefully Mm -hmm. this is a model that can work for you, Mm -hmm. for anyone. So, well, thanks again, everyone for being here and enjoyed it as always. Thanks
2: for hosting us,
1: Matt.
0: Yeah. Thanks for hosting Matt. Yeah. My pleasure. Have a great night. Okay, you thank too.
1: you. Good to meet you, Don. Nice Bye. to meet
0: you too.
1: Bye-bye.
2: Bye.